0: If you're a mom, you're a superhero. That's right, own it. We possess a unique superpower of intuition, a sixth sense for what our kids are up to, how they feel, what they want, and when they want it. Yep, it's amazing. I call this Mom Sense. Oftentimes, we are Googling for answers, joining Facebook groups, or relegating to taking unsolicited advice from our friends when all we have to do is listen to that voice inside us. No, not the one that's telling you you're fat. The other voice, the one that seems to know everything when it comes to your kids and leaves you feeling confident, empowered, purposeful, and all things hashtag momgoals. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm a mother of twin toddlers and a baby, double the fun plus one. And I can honestly say that now that I'm a mom, I feel like my life is just getting started. On my podcast, I interview industry experts and real life mamas on their Mom Sense experiences, tackling topics like how to teach kids to meditate, what it takes to have the marriage you've always dreamed of, and how to master your car makeup routine. Grab your latte that's probably ice cold by now and take a listen to That's Total Mom Sense. So I want to read to you um, an excerpt uh, from one of my listeners. And this is an episode that I have been so, so keen on doing for all of you. And it's on marriage after kids. So here it goes. Ever since we had our baby, my husband and I are at odds with each other. It's like he's my roommate and not my partner anymore. We just coexist. We never have time to sit down and talk. And when we do talk, It's about laundry list items pertaining to the kids. Like, can you order more diapers? Or by the way, you know, my baby has a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Every little argument snowballs into a fight. It feels like we're constantly bickering. I don't even want to talk about how long it's been since we've been intimate. I've lost track of how many months. Why are my kids ruining my marriage? Okay, so if that story is something that you relate to and resonates with you, and it sounds a lot like what you're going through, don't worry. All couples go through this transition after they bring kids into their life. Priorities change and time is limited. I'm doing this episode because I want to ensure you that you have the tools to reconnect with your partner and get your marriage back on track. On today's episode, I'm joined by marriage and family therapist, Sahara Martinez. She says that the process of healing often leads to deeper understanding of ourselves and our relationships. She works collaboratively with her clients, creating a safe, healing, therapeutic space that allows for growth and change. She offers an integrative approach to therapy tailored to your unique needs, She specializes in working with individuals, couples, and families struggling with issues related to trauma, grief, depression, anxiety, and major life changes, like having a baby. She says the challenges we face as we move through various phases of life can seem overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't have to be this way. She truly believes that each individual possesses the power within themselves to live their highest potential and she's here to support your journey to a place of hope, compassion, and self-love. Sahar, thank you so much for being on That's Total Mom
1: Sense. Thanks for having
0: me. (laughs) Um, So I want to start with an article that I read recently in Fortune Magazine, and it said that for around 30 years, researchers have studied how having children affects a marriage, and the results are conclusive. The relationship between spouses suffers once kids come along. Comparing couples with and without children, researchers found that the rate of the decline in relationship satisfaction is nearly twice as steep for couples who have children than for childless couples. And in the event that a pregnancy is unplanned, the parents experience even greater negative impacts on their relationship. Okay, so why is it so common for couples to have a strained marriage after having a baby, it's like the one thing that right after marriage is you want to you consummate the marriage. <laughs> why, why does this happen? You
1: know, I think it's a really big life stressor that we don't anticipate as being a life stressor. Um, 67% of couples report conflict in their relationships after having a baby. Um, I was at a conference recently where the statistic that they like threw out was that 97% of couples experience conflict in their relationships in the first three months after becoming parents, which is staggering. Yeah. Um, and something that we don't really talk about. So I think that people become so consumed by parenthood that the dissatisfaction in the couple relationship has a lot of factors to it. But uh, largely, it's kind of rooted in this idea of that we are now parents, and they kind of move away from being a couple. So when you pile up like sleep deprivation, the lack of preparedness, like on how to prepare your relationship for becoming parents and kind of the lack of communication on on your expectations of what this is going to look like and just a resistance to accepting that this is now your new normal, right? I think we have this idea of like, let's go, let's get back to our old selves. And the truth of the matter is, is that your old self doesn't exist anymore.
0: Um, Yeah. Especially when you have, you know, one, two, three, how many ever kids that you've brought into this world um, that are in the mix too now.
1: Right. And these transitions don't just happen the first time that you enter parenthood, right? They're, they're, it's transitions. They continue to happen. Mm. So they continue to happen as your children grow and they continue to happen as you introduce more children into the dynamic.
0: So is it a biological response that women tend to like be nurturing and really care for their kids and oftentimes neglect their husbands?
1: So, I hesitate to say that it's a biological response because I've seen um I've seen this role taken on by different people in the couple relationship. and I've seen it in adoptive parents and step parents and LGBT couples. Um I've seen you know dads and moms take on this role of caretaker. And so I really hesitate to say that it's a biological response. Right. Um, I think that oftentimes we believe that it's the women because we're socially kind of conditioned to, as women be the caretakers. So right. we're expected to be like caretakers of the house and our children, but also in you know, modern day, be that working mom that can be, you know, give 110, 110% at her job, um, while also being like the PTA mom and room leader and, you know, all these other things.
0: Mm-hmm. So many couples at this point resort to divorce, um, and I feel like so many of these problems are resolvable, right? It's not, you don't have to throw in the towel. Um, What is your experience with that?
1: So I um, I think that most issues, if not all issues, are resolvable as long as the couple wants to work through them. So it's really a decision that the couple makes. I think a lot of times in my line of work, therapy is seen as like a last resort. And so it's, they're already, they've gone through so much and they're coming here as a last resort and there's so much to work through as they are, as they've kind of dealt with conflict over years and years of time. Uh, But I think if a couple is committed to working through the challenges that they've faced, that they can work through anything.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, one parent wants to sleep train and the other one is vehemently against it that's
1: one, one major issue. Can you just speak to that? Sure. I think so much of this is rooted in a lack of communication. And I think when we get to a place where we're arguing about things like parenting styles, it comes, you come from a place of blame, right? So I don't want to sleep train because I feel like it's damaging to our child. And I do want to sleep train because I'm tired and I feel like our baby needs to sleep and you're not listening. And it becomes more about, judging the other person for what they're doing instead of speaking about your experience of what's happening. So instead of coming from a place of, I don't know if I can sleep train our baby because I don't know if I can listen to my baby cry for that long, you know, or I don't know if I can keep getting up six times a night and work all day because I'm so tired that I feel like I'm not present in this family anymore. I think that if we, uh, if we focus more on communicating what our actual needs are about any topic, that it allows our partner to kind of see where we're coming from and to see if there's a halfway point where we can meet
0: okay number two issue that that couples face is sex you know it you have it half as often and it's twice the hassle (laughs) how does a couple make
1: time to be intimate So I think, well, I think the making time part is one thing and the actual desire to be intimate is another. Um, I think if we're talking about desire of intimacy, I think that a lot of times we think sex equals intimacy and that's not necessarily the case. So it's about kind of determining what intimacy means to you as a couple. Is it making out? Is it touch? Is it is it sex you know and how does that look in your relationship? I think that there's a hormonal factor after you have a baby that decreases libido for women that you know is important to be aware of. But I also think that there is like a bigger piece of this that when we as women uh, as a gestational carrier, like your body changes after you have a baby and it, there, it takes time for you to get used to this new body and it's okay to communicate that to your partner. You know, and it's okay to tell them, like, I, I'm afraid of having sex. I just had a baby and I'm afraid of what sex is going to feel like. Yeah. You know, I need to take it slow. Can we take it slow? Can we try doing this? Can we try sex toys? Can we try a lubricant? You know, introduce things that maybe weren't a part of your life before that maybe are a part of your life now, you know, to establish this this new dynamic. Right. Um, and as for making time for it, I say make time for it when you can make time for it. Have oh, <laughs> yeah. time for your kids. Give up the sleep. <laughs> yeah, if it's early in the morning, then it's early in the morning. Um, yeah. It's all. It all becomes. It all goes back to that adjusting to that this new normal that you've established, right? Mm-hmm. Like my normal before I had children was not waking up before six a.m. But that is now my normal. You know, yeah. this is yeah. what my life looks like. Um, and it's what it's looked like for the last couple of years. And it's probably what it will look like for the next couple of years.
0: Number three issue is the couple time has become family time. So before when it's just you and your partner, you know, going to dinner or having dinner at home and, you know, enjoying like, uh, just a one-to-one conversation was easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it can turn into a total shit show with, with kids in their high chairs. <laughs> <laughs> them first and you know you eating cold food and scraps and you know that happens in my house so sure <laughs> you can't wait till the kids are old enough to have a meal together and have conversation we're passing the you know food around and all of that um but in the early years it, it just doesn't happen that way so what is your advice for when that family time takes over a like, couple time?
1: So I I mean I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So I totally get that. We it is like survival mode a lot of the time. And I think like for my husband and I, we eat dinner after our kids go to bed. Our kids now are at the age where they have a bedtime and they're down at the same time. And so we eat dinner later than we used to eat dinner before having kids, but we eat dinner after they go to bed. So we sit with them while they eat and then we eat after they go to bed. And I think what it comes down to is finding these pockets of time when you can connect just the two of you, even if it's for just a couple of moments. Not it doesn't have to be like a three hour dinner going out, right? It can just be like we're gonna throw together a salad and sit down at eight o'clock and eat dinner together after our kids have gone to bed and just catch up on our day. And it's maybe 20 minutes, but it feels like it's it feels longer than that because it feels like it's quality time connecting, you know.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Okay. Number four issue is, you know, when parents don't have enough time to themselves, they don't have that me time. Mm -hmm. So
1: How do we resolve
0: that?
1: I think it goes back to that communication piece. And I think this is something that I've seen in my work that mothers struggle with a lot is saying, I need this. I need, you know, one day a week. That's just mine, you know, just for an hour to go out on my own. So I think it's, it becomes about learning how to advocate for what your needs are and to identify that if I don't kind of nourish this part of myself, then I cannot nurture my family. And so I think it's really about identity for some people it's I you know it's important to me to go work out three mornings a week. and so I need an hour in the mornings without the kids to go for a run or whatever it is. And for some people it's you know I want to go get my nails done once a month or mm-hmm. I want to go out to lunch with some friends for a couple of hours. you know so it's I think it's about identifying what that need is that needs to be filled and then expressing that to your partner and just saying, I need this. I need this for me. Um, and it's not that I don't want to be with the kids or I don't want to be with you. I just need this for me. Right. It's true. And,
0: um, I did do a previous episode, um, with a therapist and coach, um, Zwickson, and it was on like postpartum actually. And that was one of her recommendations as well is to carve out this me time because if you're not full, you can't give to your kids. Exactly. You know, it's yeah something that your partner should very easily understand, um, and you know he or she may want his time too. You know, um, just so that you come to the relationship and partnership whole.
1: Absolutely, I think it's more often than not that I see couples who come in where because one partner won't take the time for themselves, the other one also will not take time for themselves, and they get into this like resentment cycle of neither of us have this time away to fulfill ourselves and you're not taking it. So I'm not going to take it. And they resent each other for it. But also no one is speaking up to say, Hey, I just, I need like 30 (laughs) minutes away on my own to read a book in my room or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so true. Um number five issue is in-laws and you know having grandparents on the scene a lot. Um, you know, for me it's definitely a boon. I mean, we I have twins and then a baby and having my parents and um my husband's parents around a lot is is awesome um because we all kind of all hands on deck and raising the kids. Uh-huh. But you know, for some families it might be a little too close for comfort and You know, how do you navigate that situation when, you know, the in-laws are just kind of like overstepping some bounds here?
1: So I think that the biggest thing is to come together as a couple and figure out what your boundaries are and kind of like set a, a game plan and almost like a set of rules of this is what we're comfortable with and this is what we're not comfortable with. Mm. And to go forward with it as a team. Um, I've worked with a lot of couples who will say, you know, I deal with my family, you deal with your family. When it regard in regards to communicating, anything like if it's you did, you know, your mom did something that I didn't like, can you let her know in order to kind of maintain some peace? But I really think it's about the couple coming together and talking about what it is that they want from that relationship. So if you have a situation where you know both sets of parents are generous enough to provide their time. And help take care of your kids, then it's about like okay, so are we comfortable with them driving the kids around? Are we comfortable with them leaving the house with the kids? Um, right. Are we comfortable with them preparing food for the children?
0: Right. Or
1: are you know is it going to be an issue if we come home and our children are eating ice cream after dinner um, <laughs> because grandma and grandpa gave them ice cream? You know, and for some people, like for me, that's fine. Like my kids can eat whatever they want to eat when they're with their grandparents. Um, even if it goes against what the rules are at our house, but for some people it's not, it's like a deal breaker. So it's really about being on the same page as your partner and kind of knowing how to, knowing who's responsible for communicating what to which set of grandparents or in-laws. That is excellent
0: advice. And then it's kind of just preventing any kind of conflict from like occurring.
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: And the number six issue is money. Um, Obviously, it's a you know a huge financial um, like kind of undertaking when you have kids, and money matters more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and if one parent is working and one is staying at home or both are working, whatever the situation may be, um it's you know it's the most necessary thing to to keep everything yeah functioning. So when couples fight over money, What are your recommendations about that?
1: So this is one of the things that I work on with my with my couples who come in for couples. uh, I do like a couples workshop preparing for having a baby, and this is one of the topics that we talk about. And I tell my couples, I need you guys to think about every scenario that could happen after you have a baby. So if my couple comes in and they're both working. What happens if one of you decides that you you can't go back to work after you have a baby? That happened to me. I didn't go back to work for two years after I had my first child. And that was completely not what I had anticipated. Yeah. You know? So we talk about... So what does this look like? for? What does it look like emotionally for you guys? And what does it look like financially for you guys? Is this even a possibility for you guys? Mm. Um, And I've on the flip side, I've had couples who mom wasn't working when they got pregnant, had the baby, and a few months in was like, I... I want to go back to work. I want to get a job. I want something outside of the home in order to establish an identity of self again, because I feel like I need this. Yes. And so I think that if if you are prepared to, if you prepare your couple relationship before having the baby, this is a conversation that happens in there. And if you're not, like a lot of people don't go through a workshop like this, then it's about really talking about logistically what works for you. So, does it work for you guys to have one person at home and then you're not paying for daycare and childcare? Does it work for you guys to have someone go back to work because you have help at home from family? Yeah. Um, but I really think, again, coming from that place of communicating what your needs are. Uh, when I had my first son, it, there was no, I would have lived in a shoebox. And just to stay at home with him, it didn't matter what needed to happen, uh-huh. you know, and I just wasn't prepared to go back. And so when I had that conversation with my husband and was just very, very honest with him and was like, I don't think I am emotionally, physically, mentally ready to be away from our son. And this is what I need right now. That was the conversation that we had, mm-hmm. you know? So, so I wow. think again, like if we come from a place of really communicating what our personal needs and our experiences are then it really, really creates a space within the couple relationship that is honest and open and has a lot of room for growth and opportunity.
0: Um, now that you're parents and you want to raise your kids to be stand-up um, adults and Good Samaritans and all of that, um, but you as individuals still have your own preferences. So, you know, one thing that, that I know really s- kind of sticks with me is your child um, is the way he is or she is when he's born. He's not mm-hmm. going to be an extension of yourself. It's like, that's just who they are. But still, I feel many parents struggle with this and um, and they want to have a mini me, you know? And so it's like, okay, if I went to this college, then you're going to my alma mater and I'm buying you all the, you know, uh, outfits and stuff to like kind of impose that on you. A lot of parents do that. They mm-hmm. just, they want to raise their own kind of clone in a way. And so if you um, have both partners wanting that, you know, how how does that play out and how do you fix it?
1: That's a tough one. Um, I think a lot of times like we put so much of our hopes and dreams and expectations into our kids, right? And sometimes that's like with all of, most of the time it's with with all of the best intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want your kid to go to your alma mater because you want them to have that amazing experience that you had in college. And I think that that is all wonderful to communicate that to your children. And I think that it is important to also foster a sense of independence, both for the parents and for the kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that if we're like coming from a place where mom has one set of ideas and dad says has one set of ideas, and they both are trying to impose this all on the kid, it not only is causing conflict into the relationship, but it's also causing conflict within the family unit. Absolutely. You know, And so I think it's important to take a step back and see, are these the things that I want because I want what's best for our child? Or are these the things that I want because I want what I want?
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, and so then you kind of come to terms with that. And I guess, I mean, do you just like agree that there's an impasse or just say that like, you know, we, h- how do you like come to a decision that we're going to raise the child this way and not kind of inflict our own preferences on child
1: yeah I wish that there was like a solid answer for that I think that in any family unit you're gonna impress your your beliefs and kind of who you are as a person onto your kids right they're gonna be it's the it's the culture and the environment that they're growing up in yeah. I think that once our kids get a little bit older and they get influenced by other things then they start to bring in kind of their own personal culture into the family and that's when the dynamic starts to shift mm-hmm. like my four-year-old is in school now and he's learning about things that he has not learned at home from us like a really random example of this is that so our son has never been to a mcdonald's before oh, and we've yeah. never we've never said the word mcdonald's to him we've never it's not it's not something that we talk about at home but he knows what mcdonald's is mm-hmm. and so i asked him where did you learn this from he's like oh my friend at school talked about mcdonald's yeah <laughs> i was like okay so now this is something that's part of his you know cultural identities like he knows what mcdonald's we drive by a mcdonald's and he points it out and he says that's mcdonald's and it's not mm-hmm. something that i taught him and it's not mm-hmm. something that my husband taught him but it's something that he now knows right. And so i think that like our kids they are they are not and they are their own person and they learn from us because they live in our home they live in, in the environment that we provide for them and then when they branch out and they you know go to school or go to daycare or meet new friends or whatever it is they start to bring kind of their own spin of things back into the family unit. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's a lot of times when like pushback starts to happen when kids get a little bit older.
0: Let's say you just can't avoid having a fight. What do we do in order to
1: have a fair fight? So I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind. I think first is that to always come from a place of expressing your experience and using feeling statements. So I feel I I experienced, this is what's happening for me and kind of really staying grounded in your own experience and trying to communicate that to your partner. Mm. Um, I think that's staying focused on what the issue at hand is. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with couples where they will come in saying, you know, we got an argument over dinner last night over who didn't take the trash out. It's huh. like, okay, so let's talk about this. And then that turns into, well, you didn't, you didn't buy the right groceries and we got in a fight over your mom the other night and it turns into, it spirals into, you know, dozens of things. So I think if you're arguing about something, stay focused on what you're arguing on. And if it goes to a bigger place, take a step back and just refocus Mm. Um, and to remain engaged that there. Oftentimes when we fight, one person will shut down and then it becomes one person chasing the other person to engage with them. And so I think even in those moments where you're starting to feel like, I don't want to do this anymore and I'm shutting down, think about why it is that you're shutting down. What's coming up for you? My husband gets up with our kids in the mornings, right? Like that's like his responsibility. And so he, it's what he's chosen to do. So before work, every morning, he gets up with the kids and I get a few moments to get ready and, you know, get set for my day. And a lot of the times they will be having a great time. He makes them breakfast and they will, they're playing. And the second I come out there, the kids meltdown and yeah. he'll turn to me sometimes and he'll say, oh, they were acting so great before you came out here. Huh. And it really, really would make me angry. Yeah. And so I would say to him like, that's so unfair that you say that, like I'm with the kids all the time. And it really, when I sat down and I thought about it, I wasn't angry. I felt hurt. And so when I expressed that to him, like, Oh, it hurts my feelings when you say that. Cause I feel like, you know, you are judging my parenting or that you think that the kids don't like me as much or whatever it is. He was like, no, 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 I'm not talking about you. They're just being terrible. That's totally, you know, totally on them. Observation, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you know. And so I think that if we get to a place where we can really communicate what our own experience is, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it also helps the other person to understand where we're coming from. So find your common ground. Mm -hmm. So I think oftentimes when couples are fighting, it's important to find like a place where you can come together. So by using those feeling statements, finding the foundation, how you feel and allowing your partner in to see what your experience is, is, you can find a place where you can come together and, you know, find a common ground and find a way to resolve the argument. Um, I, I see a lot of times in couples, we use this like all or nothing statements like you always do this and you never do that and I think it's really important to be mindful of not using that because the truth of the matter is no one always does something or never does something you know so it's just it's the reality of it we don't I don't always do anything and I don't never do anything you know and so I think it's important when we're arguing to stay away from those because oftentimes those become statements that become very uh they ignite the fire of the argument and it just blows it up into something bigger than it really has to be.
0: So true. So,
1: so yeah. true. And um, I think at the very end of it, it's also important to ask your partner like their experience of what's happening. So tell me what this was like for you. Help me understand like what this was like for you because I know how I feel about this and you seem to feel differently about it. So help me understand what your experience is of this.
0: What if you have like a scenario where parents are fighting in front of their kids it's something that we all of course want to avoid Mm -hmm. Uh, but how do we explain what's going on to them
1: so I think that I mean obviously the goal is to avoid having conflict with your partner in front of your kids like you said but I think inevitably it happens and so I think When it happens, one thing I think that is important is that you make up in front of the kids too, so that they see the full circle, right? Um, And so to if you're going to argue or have a disagreement or whatever it is for them to see what it looks like coming full circle and, you know, to apologize and what, however that looks like in your couple relationship. Um, And I think when you explain it to your kids, I think you explain it to them very simply. My kids are young. So I say, you know, sometimes like mama and dad disagree or we don't get along or we don't see, we don't agree about things and that's okay. Just like how sometimes you and your brother don't agree about things and that's okay. But we talk about it and then we say, I'm sorry, when you need to say, I'm sorry. And then when your kids get older, I think you can be more complex in how you explain it to them. But I think that it's important for kids if they're going to see the conflict to see the resolution of it too.
0: So tell us a little bit about how you help your clients.
1: You know, I really, when working with couples, especially, I just, I hope that my, you know, my space is a space that they can come and work through their experiences and that it's a neutral space for them to explore conflict. Um, Sometimes when they're trying to do basically the same thing that they do with me at home, because it's at home, it's a more uh, active environment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I... I help them by helping them to express their experiences in a way that maybe their partner has never heard before. And I'll oftentimes like when we're working together, it's the, the vulnerability that comes out from, you know, the partners together. They'll say like, I've never heard, you know, my husband or my wife or my boyfriend or my girlfriend speak in this way before Um, in the workshop that I do with my couples preparing for parenthood they, you know, they, we approach the workshop in a very similar way to like a childbirth class or a CPR class. Um, And that preparing the couple relationship is similar to preparing of how you take care of your baby or, you know, all of these things that we have all these other classes for, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so
1: we just, I really try to help equip them with the tools to establish healthy communication, know what their boundaries are, you know, kind of set a like a couple plan similar to like a birth plan for when they're going into this new time in their lives. Can you tell us about some stories of clients you've
0: helped, and you know maybe you know one of them will resonate with with uh, one of our listeners.
1: Uh, I had a a couple that I was working so in when I was seeing I saw them through pregnancy and then I saw them after as well. Mm-hmm. And after they came in, they had come in maybe a few months after they had had their baby and. They were doing okay um, but dad had really kind of retreated a bit and his wife was like, know I don't really understand what's going on And so they came in and they were talking and talking about how they were so excited about the baby and you know they were making time for themselves and he ended up just blurting out, you know I I have a lot of feelings about like what it was like to experience your birth and she had had a very traumatic birth. Um, where she had spent time processing like in therapy and with friends, but no one had really attended to him. And this had now started to cause like their couple relationship to have some cracks in it. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time working on what that was like for him. And he got to this really like beautiful vulnerable space where he was like, I was really scared that you were going to die. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to express that to anybody because nobody was listening to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think you know, in the work that we do, a lot of times it's that preparing the couple before the baby comes, and then there's, like, the stuff that comes after, and I think it's important to stay connected in order to have those moments where you can express that to your partner. Like, this really scary thing happened in our lives, and it result, the end result was great. You're healthy. Our baby is healthy. We have this baby that we always wanted, and I had a lot of really scary stuff wrapped up in it that I didn't know how to communicate to you that's making me scared to, like, touch you or be around you. Right. Right. Um,
0: What about, you know, your experience with um, couples um, kind of being at odds with each other after having the baby? Um, Have most of these couples patched things up and worked out or have the majority decided to part ways and like,
1: yeah. They've all stayed together. They all stay together. They all stay together. Yeah. (laughs) And so you can get through it. Um, You can get through it. Yeah. And I I think a lot of it. So when I do like workshops and groups, it's multiple people that are in there together. And I think part of it is finding that community of like, we are not the only ones who feel this way. mm -hmm. You know? And so I think a lot of times parenthood can be so isolating and we only talk about the good stuff right? We, it's Everything is like a curated Instagram feed of beautiful baby pictures and family photos and whatever it is. Yeah. And no one really talks about the hard stuff. And it's hard, you know, and it's hard on your marriage, it's hard on your relationship. And to find a group of other people who are like, yeah, this is really hard. I feel the same way as you do, is really, I think, validating for people.
0: You know, who are some of your, like, ideal clients? And, and what is your you know, specific process like
1: my, so I typically work in the, like in the space of maternal mental health and couples. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work with moms in really any stage of their life. So women who are entering parenthood to women who have children who are launching out of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with couples all through that space too. So couples who are not married, married, cohabitating, have kids, don't have kids of the whole
0: nine. Yeah. And where are you based? And do you take on, um, you know, couples uh, and work remotely?
1: I do. So for my workshop programs, I do work remotely. Um, My office is in Orange County, California. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Okay, great. Um, Okay, so let's go on to
0: your mom sense moment. I I love hearing these stories. So mom sense is kind of like, a term that I coined um, for the superpower that we have as mothers on knowing what our kids need when they need it. And no one else can tell us otherwise. Um, So tell us about a mom sense moment that you had.
1: So my youngest son um, is like the most joyful child ever. He was just born like the most joyful, happy baby ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And he right around when he was, I think, turning a year old, maybe he was a little bit younger. He just was like, the slightest bit fussy. Like, not even, not anything that would be anything for any other child. But he just had a little bit of a cold and he was slightly fussy. And there was just something in my gut where I was like, "There, something's wrong with him. I know that something's wrong with him. And everyone was like, he's fine. He has a runny nose. He's fine. He's fine. Huh. Yeah. But I was like, I know that something's off. And so I ended up taking him to the doctor against the advice of everybody. And it turned out that kid had, had, like, a double ear infection. He had hand, foot, and mouth. He had... All this stuff going on, poor child. Oh no. Um, yeah. Ended up being on like two weeks of antibiotics, but I just knew in my gut that something was off with him. Right. And sure enough, like he got on, you know, he got on the medicine that he needed to be on, and in three days, he was completely back to normal.
0: Oh wow. And yeah, it was, it was like, such a, um, like so painful. Pain. Yeah. Like he, he suppressed uh, his, um, his pain and anguish. Um, and like, that's why no one could even tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it never steers you wrong. It's really, really uh, incredible. This, this power we have. Let's not forget our quote of the day.
1: So what is a quote that you say you live by? So I love this quote by uh, it's actually a Persian poet named Hafez, and it's called the. It says the words you speak become the house you live in, and I think that that is so powerful, especially in the work that I do, um, because there's so much value in how we communicate with the people in our lives, and I think that if you are able to establish like healthy and effective communication with the people that are you know in your circle, then you build a house that is has a strong foundation and that it's functional for you.
0: Absolutely, wow, that is so, so beautiful and profound. Um, and yeah, it's something that I think, you know, our listeners um, who are parents uh, want to achieve, you know, they, they want to create a safe, supportive environment for themselves, for their partners, for their kids. And it really just boils down to uh, communication and how you speak to each other. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's now time for Mom Haul, when we share products we love. Okay, on to our fun um, section on, you know, our shopping section, if you will, uh, a mom haul. <laughs> so, you know, as moms, there's like tons of stuff that we're buying all the time. And is
1: there a product that you're loving right now that you want to share with our so- listeners? I've been obsessed with Bosha face masks throughout all of, both of my pregnancies. Um, it's like my ultimate at-home self-care indulgence. And because they're botanical and all-natural, I could use them while I was pregnant and nursing. So they're just, yeah, they're everything.
0: <laughs> yes, I
1: remember when those black
0: masks, the uh-huh. Bosha came out at sephora and i just um they were like giving out samples This was, like years years ago mm-hmm. but i thought it was the coolest thing to um have it harden and peel off and they're yeah the they, they're definitely effective love them. Yeah.
1: my awesome. kids actually love them too they're like they think they're really funny so <laughs> yeah
0: it's like okay we're all gonna do this together, right exactly <laughs> and it's not halloween <laughs> um, that's awesome my mom haul um, for this episode is the Bookaroo uh, subscription service. Um, it's one that a friend of mine um, introduced me to, and she gave us a birthday gift, and we love it. So Bookaroo, spelled B-O-O-K-R-O-O, um, is a subscription service for books, and you can actually, like... Um, Uh, get books based on the age group um, of kids that you have so they do um, board books for ages zero to three um, that and you get three books um, a month and then if your kids are ages two to six you can get two hardcover picture books and then if you have older kids age seven to ten you can do two chapter books um, so I really, really love the service and it's $16.95 a month. Um, so very reasonable and just kind of encourages a love for reading when, um,
1: uh, when you get like a fun package at the door every month. We love Bookaroo. We got a, we got a gifted a subscription by my sister-in-law and it was, it was so fun they had delivered them like gift wrap. It's so cute. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's like, it's,
1: it's a fun way of doing Christmas every month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, where can our listeners find you? So you can find me at my website, uh saharamartinez.com, on Instagram at Sahara Martinez MFT, or on Facebook, also at Sahara Martinez Thank you so much, Sahara. This was such an
0: important, crucial episode for our listeners. Um, and I feel like you're giving them the tools that they need to um, keep their marriage going strong and um, and staying on track and building that foundation in the home that we all want to achieve. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank
1: you. That's total mom sense.